Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks. Thanks for joining us again for yet another adventure. Today we are taking you on a trip with us to Prescott, Arizona. Though much of our time passing through Prescott was spent on Whiskey Row, we thought we would give you some of the town's history as well. Mm-hmm. So many hear Arizona and instantly form images of barren desert and tall cactus, as well as 100 plus degree temperatures. Arizona has many more moderate areas, and Prescott is one of them. Prescott consumes just over 40 square miles. The town of Prescott sits just above the 5,300 foot elevation mark, so it's pretty high. Here in Salt mm-hmm. Lake, we're 4,500 roughly. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's quite a bit higher. It's going to be a little cooler. Uh, the average temperature in the summer is about 86 degrees, with about 37 days on average of temperatures going over 90, so not that... Terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we get worse temperatures up here, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, low temperatures in the winter there get into the 20s, and an average snowfall of 5 to 6 inches a month during the months of December, January, and February, so not a harsh winter. Ours seems to start in February. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it all comes in February. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, well, on February 24th, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed into law a separation of New Mexico and Arizona into an east and west state calling Arizona, Arizona Territory. Mm-hmm. The first territorial capital was established in 1864 in Prescott. At the same time, it was established as a territorial capital it was also designated as the county seat of Yavapai. Mm-hmm. Yes, Yavapai <laughs> County. <laughs> and we're calling it Prescott. We used to call it Prescott, and we hear a lot of people call it Prescott. But we were corrected down there by a local saying it is Prescott. So yeah, <laughs> say it how you want, but that's how we're calling it. <laughs> I could see Prescott. Is it spelled like that? Yeah, it's spelled just like it. So why choose Prescott to be the territorial capital? The area was previously known as New Mexico, and they were first going to make Tucson the capital, but instead, they chose Prescott. The year prior, gold had been discovered in Prescott, and like most capitals being formed at this time, they were established around the area that had the most people, and consequently the most money. So there there we have it in Prescott with the new gold found. So there was also a military post close by that uh, afforded them some extra protection in the area because we're still in the midst of the Indian Wars and whatnot. The Wild West. The Wild West, <laughs> yeah. This is, t- you know, right at the end of the Civil War and all that too. Yeah. Well, Prescott was only the capital until 1867 when it was moved to Tucson. There, the title was held for about 10 years and then the title was handed back to Prescott. Then in 1899, it moved to Phoenix, where it is still the capital today. So the name Prescott came from historian and author William Hickling Prescott, who wrote The History of the Conquest of Mexico. So the town anticipated a pretty large growth in the area, and they quickly went to work laying out the roads in a grid pattern, which is similar to what Salt Lake is as well. Yeah. Mostly the the heart of Salt Lake is a grid pattern. Right, and that's where a lot of people talk about how it's not like their downtown system's better, mm-hmm. and it's easier to find stuff because yep. of that reason. Certainly. So by 1878, they had built the first courthouse, and they used pink bricks. <laughs> Adorable. And I, I did some look, and I couldn't find why pink specifically. They had various colors, so it's not that that was the only color they could get out of their local sand. My guess is one that was their aesthetic. 
Yeah. And the other is a pink might be a little bit cooler in the direct sun. Oh, yeah, that's true. So in the 1800s, they're not going to have uh, air conditioning. What? I know. So that was my thought, but I found nothing forming that uh, as a truth fact. Hmm. So they then decorated and improved the area. They built a chapel, a bandstand, a fountain. They planted trees, and they even had a cactus garden with gravel paths and a fence built around it. So this area was known then and is still known today as the plaza. So the town folks then started building around the plaza, placing saloons, restaurants, hotels, all along Montezuma Street, which runs north and south on the west side of the courthouse, starting at Goodwin Street, which is the south border of the courthouse block running east and west, and ended at Gurley Street, which is the north border of the courthouse block, which also runs east to west. And Gurley is spelled G-U-R-L-E-Y, not like a little girly girl. <laughs> girly. <laughs> so just behind the Montezuma, the brothels and the bordellos were built along Granite Street. So by 1916, the courthouse was becoming inadequate and needed to be replaced. They tore down the old building, leaving behind the bandstand, the fountain, and gravel pathways. The cornerstone for the new courthouse was placed on October 19th, 1916. That's my birthday. It is. I'm old. Did you know that? I did, yeah. I (coughs) kind of bring that up every now and again, how old you are. But 105 this coming year. I look pretty damn good for being 105. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And behind it was a copper box time capsule that was not to be opened for 100 years. So in 2016, they opened it and found inside some photographs, receipts from local businesses, and three issues of the Yavapai magazine. It'd be fun to see those. Yeah, I bet they're in... Probably in the courthouse, I would imagine, in a, dis- in a display. Or they just put him back in a time capsule? Not likely. And said, open it again in another hundred years. <laughs> put some new stuff in it. <laughs> in July 1883, a major fire broke out on the buildings along Montezuma Street and burnt down many of the saloons. In order to stop the fire from spreading, they actually dynamited the Diana Saloon owned by Nathan Ellis and Al Whitney. But luckily for these two men, they had just opened a second saloon in June of 1883, and they called that the Palace, which was located on Goodwin Street, and that one was not destroyed by the fire, so they were still able to make some money. Had some business. So while they were in the process of rebuilding the town, eight months later it caught fire again. That was February of 1884. How devastating. (laughs) So this time the fire was along Goodwin Street, and it destroyed the newly built Palace Saloon. So once they finished rebuilding the saloon on Montezuma, they just renamed it the palace and I think just stuck with one saloon at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'd probably be afraid it gets fire again. (laughs) They continually only had one saloon anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So, Well, on July 14th, 1900, the area burnt down for the last time. We couldn't find what started the other two fires, but this fire was actually started when a candle fell on a mattress in an empty hotel room. I found that interesting. I thought, why would there be a candle in there then? Yeah, maybe somebody was in there writing a letter by candlelight, and then Bill came up and said, John, come on, we're dancing down here. Oh, and then they just left it. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I thought it was like needed to be rented out still. Oh. So I'm like, why would you go put a candle in there? But that makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah, or they lit it to clean it. Yeah. And just left it lit. Yeah. Well, when the Palace Saloon was about to burn down, the men inside, they actually picked up the 
beautiful Brunswick wooden bar and carried it outside. They then bellied up to the bar and started drinking again as if nothing had happened. Priorities. (laughs) Whole town's burning down. They're sitting there in the plaza just drinking away. No better place to watch a fire, I reckon. Yeah, front row seats. So the building owners went back to work rebuilding, and this time they used brick rather than wood, or wisen up a bit now. (laughs) Uh, They also replaced the wood sidewalks with cement and paved the dusty streets out there. So the 1880 Brunswick bar that was saved from the fire was placed back inside the palace saloon, and it's still there today for you to belly up to. (laughs) There are actually pictures of the area online after the fire, and... In them, you can see where they had put up tents in the location of where the building once stood so that they could just keep selling their booze out of it. Um, If Prescott knew how to do one thing well back then, it was to drink. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is when Montezuma Street actually gets the name of Whiskey Row. Whiskey Row. Well, some of the most well-known folks to visit Prescott during its beginnings were Wyatt and Virgil Earp, as well as Doc Holliday. So the story goes, they even threw down some bets at the Palace Saloon. Virgil Earp and his girlfriend Allie stayed in Prescott while the remaining group moved on. They arrived in the area on the 4th of July, 1877, and they found a ranch a few miles east of Prescott where he spent the summer as a mail rider. On October 16, 1877, Virgil was in downtown Prescott talking with U.S. Marshal William W. Standifer. Mm-hmm. And Sheriff Ed Bowers, when Colonel W.H.H. McCall and Constable Frank Murray brought them a warrant for a man named Wilson. No last name, just Wilson. Just Wilson. He then informed them that Wilson and his buddy John Tallows were in town, and they were down drinking and firing shots at passerbys. I guess it's some sort of a game. Yeah. (laughs) Why not, right? Yeah, it's an interesting game. Well, Bowers quickly deputized Virgil so he could join him on the chase. Then Bowers and Murray jumped on their horses. Standifer and McCall hopped into a buggy heading towards the edge of town at Brooks Ranch, where the men were hiding out. Virgil, on the other hand, walked to the area the men were hiding out at, carrying his trusty Winchester rifle. Which we talked about the uh, Winchester in the Winchester House episode. Yeah, just a recent one if you want to go back and listen to that. Yep. So once the men caught up to Wilson and Talos, they started to fire at each other. Talos died instantly from eight bullet and buckshot wounds. Wilson, on the other hand, died a few days later from a bullet wound to his head. The group of men credited Virgil as a hero, claiming he had done the most damage. How terrible that the guy died a few days later after a bullet wound to the head. There's a good chance he didn't know. He was just kind of in a coma. Oh, okay. I'm just thinking, like, that would... Not feel good. <laughs> he had a headache. <laughs> a splitting headache. <laughs> Already the dad jokes. You started it. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Get serious. On September 3rd, 1878, he was appointed Prescott's night watchman, and I'm sure he was pretty busy with all the brothels and saloons in the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, That same year in November, he ran for constable against Frank Murray, and he won the position, a position he held until leaving for Tombstone in November 1879. On his departure out of town, U.S. Marshal Crowley P. Dake appointed him Deputy U.S. Marshal for the Tombstone area. 
The exact date for this was November 27th, 1879. Prescott wasn't the first area that Virgil was living in as a lawman, but it was here that he became the U.S. Marshal that turned him into the famous man we know in his involvement at the O.K. Corral shooting in Tombstone, Arizona. Which we'll do a podcast about that in the future for sure. Definitely. In July 1907, Theodore Roosevelt visited the town of Prescott, and during his stay, he had a room at the Hotel St. Michael. He came into town to commission a statue commemorating Bucky O'Neill. Who is Bucky O'Neill, you might ask? Pray tell. Well, we didn't know who he was until we visited Prescott, and I'm betting some of you might not know who he is either. So when word made its way to Arizona about the USS Maine being sunk in Havana Harbor in February of 1898, Bucky O'Neill was the mayor of Prescott at the time, and he was a little outraged. Bucky, Alexander Brody, and James McClintock wanted to join the fight. They gathered up a group of 250 men and formed the first U.S. volunteer cavalry known as the Rough Riders. <laughs> So the group of men trained at Fort Whipple before they were shipped out on May 4th of 1898 to fight in the Spanish-American War. When they arrived in San Antonio, Texas, they were greeted by their new lieutenant commander, Teddy Roosevelt. So the statue of Bucky O'Neill still stands today, and you can see it at the Courthouse Plaza. So two things. One thing I read that that statue is not actually Bucky O'Neill on it, it's um, just in memory of him. Okay, commemorated to him. Yeah. And the other thing, I'm kind of disappointed because when you said Rough Riders, I was hoping you would say Regulators. Mount up. <laughs> it's too late now because I had a song planned. I know. That's why I avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hotel St. Michael that Teddy stayed in still stands today as well. And it's the hotel that we actually stayed in when we went to visit. Mm -hmm. The original hotel was called Berkey Hotel and was built in 1891 on the corner of Gurley Street and Montezuma. I'm pretty sure that's just Burke Hotel. Burke? Yeah. Not Berkey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> well, they advertised this hotel as being fireproof, but were proven wrong. When the Whiskey Row burnt down in July of 1900, it took the hotel with it. John Duke purchased the ho the property and built so a... John Dukey? <laughs> Sorry. Dad jokes. Go ahead. <laughs> well, John Duke purchased the hotel and, oh my goodness, he purchased the property and he built a new hotel, this time out of brick, and named it the Hotel St. Michael. The hotel had 55,000 square feet, 110 rooms, and a stone basement. So when Mr. Duke built the hotel, he had some ugly gargoyle faces placed just below the roof and between the top floor windows. Do you remember seeing those? I do. They were like red. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of theories as to why they're ugly faces, one being that they represented the politicians, which is hysterical. Yeah, because they, they were saying, like, because they're ugly. Mm-hmm. So they did that for him. Yeah, that's Because awesome. they wouldn't let him do something. He wanted to, like, expand the hotel or something, and they wouldn't let him. Yeah. That would make some <laughs> so make the sense. Put ugly gargoyles up for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other theory just being that they were placed there to protect the guests against the evil spirits, as gargoyles are typically used for. The evil politicians. <laughs> yeah. In 1925, the hotel got a new addition when they added the Otis Traction Elevator, and it was the first elevator installed in Prescott. 
to this day you can still use the hotel. <laughs> you can. You can stay there. You can still stay at the hotel and you can use the elevator. Um, that was actually my favorite part of the hotel. Yeah, it's one of the cool old ones where you step in and mm -hmm. you close the gate, it's that like, scissor gate. Close a bit. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's way cool. <laughs> I have pictures of you being funny by the elevator. I don't know if we want to put them on there or not. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You can review them. We'll see. TBA, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, today the hotel is known for being haunted. Some stories say that in room 315, a lady makes her presence known with a strong smell of perfume. The lights will start to shake or the doors will open and close on their own. Some people even claim that at night they actually see a woman standing at the foot of their bed. Um, hell no. <laughs> Could you imagine waking up? You're like, uh, excuse me, what are you doing in my room? Do you have a key? No? Okay. Well, it depends on how good looking she is, I suppose. <laughs> Might be all right. Let her rest for a while. Ugh. Well, we didn't get to see her or any other ghost um, or smell any perfume while we were there. But we were also not really trying to invite her into our room. <laughs> yeah. So in 2017, the hotel underwent a much needed update. But they did a great job at keeping it authentic. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, it's really pretty. I actually read one review that someone did on like Expedia or whatever about the hotel. And she complained that the rooms were too small. But it's like this hotel is almost 100 years old. And they kept the same amount of rooms. Yeah, she didn't get the penthouse suite, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so it's like when you stay in an old hotel, they're going to have small rooms because they weren't big back then, you know? I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Well, if you book a room at the hotel, you actually get breakfast for free at the bistro downstairs. And it's not that cheap, nasty, evaporated eggs and rubbery bacon Everything's actually prepared fresh right there. And they source the produce and the meats locally. The sausage was absolutely amazing. Like mm -hmm. I want to go back just for the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> um, the drinks are not part of the free breakfast, but, you know, that didn't stop us from having some mimosas while we were eating breakfast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, along with the room, you get free parking as well. And on the weekends, the town fills up pretty fast. So the free parking's quite a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, we lucked out and got, like, street parking, too. Yeah, we were right on the corner for some reason. Yeah, that was kind of weird. And then we didn't dare, like, leave till it was time to actually, like, leave, leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't move that car. Um, also, while we were standing in line for breakfast, we made friends with the couple standing behind us. I wish we would have <laughs> got their names or something, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have remembered. <laughs> I know. Well, they asked us why we were in Prescott, and we told them we were going to a show in Phoenix. And the poor guy thought that... That meant we were in the band. <laughs> yeah. I neither confirmed nor denied my involvement in the band. It well. Had something to do with my hat, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what show were we going to see? William Elliott Whitmore, Yeah, William Elliott Whitmore. Down yep. at the Rebel Lounge in Phoenix. Yep. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. Well, long story short, Drifter and I will be starting a band, and we actually <laughs> have been working on a set list. Uh -huh. The song names for the trip include... Fishing in Potholes. The song just isn't in me. Rest Stop Love. And finally, Whiskey Smarts. So it's going to be more of a intro album, our debut album, five songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have any of the lyrics yet, nor the music to the titles. So if anyone would like to join the band, I don't know, why don't you just let us know? 
Yeah, indeed. That's uh, kind of the extent of our musical abilities is coming up with song titles, unless you count my new jaw harp I bought. Yeah, mm. I want to learn to play the spoons. Yeah. I'd go with the jaw harp, right? Mm-hmm. The washboard. <laughs> yes. Well, next to the hotel is the famous Palace Saloon, and it is the oldest frontier saloon in Arizona. According to WhiskeyRowPalace.com, in the late 1870s, Wyatt and Virgil Earp, along with Doc Holliday, were patrons of the palace. During the time they were all in Prescott, Doc was on a winning streak in Whiskey Row, possibly at the palace, where he won $10,000 playing poker, which was the largest amount of money anyone had won at that time. Yeah, that's around two hundred fifty grand a day. Yeah, I'd be fine even with ten grand. <laughs> Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> well, inside the bar, they have pictures on the walls of people who have visited the palace, as well as old artifacts. So you go around and see pictures of Doc and uh, Wyatt Earp and all that. They have these glass cabinets with some of the old pistols and decks of cards and things like that. Yeah. Well, they had like mining stuff in the glass cabinets too. Mm. And that's where we saw the picture of the girl, the, the belly dancer girl. Little Egypt? Well, people think that she's Little Egypt. She's So Little Egypt was like, there was three different people that played Little Egypt, oh. and she was one of the three of them. Okay. But the one that's in the Tombstone, Arizona, she is the original Little Egypt. Gotcha. Uh-huh. So that's where we saw that picture, though. Um, It's kind of like walking through a museum that you can actually drink in. So my kind of favorite museum. Perfect. The back patio has several tables and chairs, as well as another bar back there. So we were there during the winter season. And the back patio really wasn't that happening. But from our understanding and also from like the Facebook posts I've seen, they do really cool back patio concerts. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of the best back patios I've seen in a bar. Yeah, it'd be a great music venue. Mm -hmm. Well, in the beginning of Prescott, prostitution was not looked down upon. The palace shared an alley with the red light district behind it, so a man could enter through the front door of the bar, grab a drink, go out the back, and enter into a house of ill repute, if you will, without anyone knowing where he went. Nothing's left of the red light district anymore, though. They've taken everything and torn it down to make room for parking garages. Yep, kind of unfortunate. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I avoided that word, but thank you. <laughs> so aside from the bar back being saved from the fire and Doc Holiday playing cards there, another notable event took place at the palace. In the early morning on Friday, August 29th of 1884, Frederick Glover murdered Jenny Clark inside the palace saloon. Jenny Clark arrived in Prescott in 1882 from Santa Cruz, California, and was a prostitute that lived and worked on Granite Street behind the bar. She was dating a deadbeat man named Frederick Glover, who arrived in Prescott sometime between 1877 and 1878. He never really held down a job because he was always drunk, but at the time of the murder, he was working as a bouncer in the Sazerac Saloon. So after his shift on Thursday night, he went to the palace to drink and play cards. He then left the bar and went to see Jenny. She was a little upset because she had been waiting for him to come home, and when he finally did arrive, he was drunk. Well, in an attempt to get back at him, she went out drinking with her friend. When the two of them met back up 
They got into another fight at the palace, and according to the minor newspaper published Friday afternoon, it says, quote, This morning at three o'clock, the palace saloon was the scene of one of the most brutal and cowardly murders ever committed in Prescott. Fred Glover, the slayer, and Nellie Coyle, alias Jenny Clark, the victim, are both well-known residents, having resided here for several years. The circumstances which surround the affair, as narrated by eyewitnesses, are as follows. A few minutes previous to the affray, the dead girl visits the palace in company with another girl named Dora Paler. And while there, they met Fred Glover, Jenny's lover. I love how they put that. Mm -hmm. uh, Glover had been drinking heavily and became very abusive towards his mistress and finally resorted to blows. Her assailant knocked her down with his fist, remarking, God damn you, let's see you faint now. And do it, Purdy. And immediately after, jumped on her prostrate form and continued to do so until sheer weariness caused him to desist. So yeah, weariness, he got wore out. So nobody pulled him off of her. No. They might. just let him keep stomping on her till he got too tired. Yeah, it might have just been the two of them in there. It's hard to say. Well, that's an eyewitness account, so somebody oh. watched it yeah. happen. Well, they might have risked spilling their beer. <laughs> Don't horrible. want to do that. That's horrible. Yeah, there's a whole book that we picked up uh, in Prescott down there, so we'll do a Patreon episode, I think, about how that whole incident played out. Yeah. It's not nothing that we really need to cover and find detail here, but I think a Patreon episode would be good for it. I I agree, actually, now that, because we read that whole book a while back, mm -hmm. and I think to read it again, we would find a lot more facts that we may have missed. Yeah, so... so. Yeah, if you want to hear that, sign up on the Patreon and we'll cover that in the next month or so. Yes. Well, I know we talked a lot about the palace, but Whiskey Road didn't get its name for having just one bar. It got its name for having a street with bar after bar after bar on top of other bars, behind other bars. I mm. mean, it's crazy. Yeah, so Whiskey Row is the 100 block of South Montezuma Street. I'm not sure if I made it up or if I read it somewhere. But regardless, I've been using the term Fun 100 Block for just for places like this. So at the time the street earned its moniker, there were more than 40 active saloons. I'm going to go with uh, you made it up, and that was a very creative way of putting that. So mm -hmm. good job. <laughs> um, it is nowhere near that number today. However, in addition to the palace we've mentioned, you can also find... The 1881 Spirits. Granite Mountain Brewing. JJ's Smiles on Tap. Lazy G Brew House. Lizard's Lounge. Matt's Saloon. The Raven Cafe. The Windsock Lounge. The Final Score. Prescott Brewing Company. Prescott Public House. The Point Bar and Lounge. Yeah, there's probably others still, and some of these may no longer be active as well, but that gives you an idea of the row for you. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> hmm. The night we checked into our hotel, we freshened up and hit the streets. The first bar we actually stopped in was the Palace. Mm-hmm. But we didn't stay long because we wanted to try and see everything we could before it closed. As you walk along the street, you can hear the music playing in each bar. And you can get a good idea if it's going to be a good fit for you or not before you go in. Yeah, there was that one bar we walked past and they were playing like heavy metal rock music. And people were like in there screaming. We're like, mm, no, I think we'll keep going. Yeah, wanted a little <laughs> bit more low-key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we heard music coming from upstairs that sounded like a live band. And we just had to find out where it was coming from. Yeah, so once we found the secret door to the Jersey Lily Bar, we made our way up the stairs and walked through several hallways with closed offices and finally made our way to the bar itself. 
Yes. Well, there there was live music playing there, and they had a small dance floor with a small bar over in the corner. And some of the best dancers you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I have no idea if those people are local. If they are, I just can't wait to go back and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, aside from the amazing dancers, they also have a bar that's, uh, part of the balcony, and it opens up into Montezuma Street. That night, we were not able to sit out there. It was just packed full of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went back and uh, the next day and got us a drink and just sat up there writing our set list for the new show that night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so at the other end of the street is the Birdcage Saloon. Not really what we were thinking it was going to be. Yeah, we were hoping for a tombstone, birdcage, saloon type of bar, but... Mm. It was still a really fine-looking bar. We couldn't say if it was fun or not because we actually walked in as they were getting ready to close down. Yeah, the bartender was pretty cool still and said, well, come on in. Well, they poured us a drink and let us enjoy the place, check it out a bit before they locked it up for the night. Yeah. I think they both uh, enjoyed a beer too while we were hanging out. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure they did and I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. Probably a well-deserved beer for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next morning after our yummy breakfast, we continued our exploration of Whiskey Row in the plaza. The Montezuma Street has a Harley Davidson store there. Um, They don't actually sell motorcycles there. It's more of just a t-shirt shop. Mm. Um, And of course, we went in and spent a whole mess of money buying koozies and Everything that says Whiskey Row. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the bars have now turned into bistros, art galleries, and offices. But if you go inside the buildings, some of them still have the original floors or ceiling tiles. Those cool old tin stamp tiles are around quite a bit. I think those are so neat. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the art galleries that we saw, they actually look to have art from local artists. So kind of awesome to be able to support a local shop and a local artist. Mm Mm-hmm. So we went to Prescott mostly to find and visit the grave of Mary Catherine Horany Cummings. Also known as Big Nose Kate. And if you don't know who Big Nose Kate is, then we can't be friends. Just kidding. (laughs) She was actually Doc Holliday's girlfriend. Off and on. Wanted to be wife. (laughs) Never happened. (laughs) So after Kate and Doc went their separate ways... She went and married a man named George Cummings, and they moved to Cochise, Arizona. George committed suicide in 1915, and then Kate moved to Dos Cabezas and lived with John Howard until he died in 1930. Thanks for reading that part, because I would have struggled with those names. (laughs) And you did a great job. Oh, thank you. Um, Well, she applied to live at the Pioneer Home in Prescott, and it actually took six months for her to be accepted. The Pioneer Home was established in 1910 for sick miners and mill pioneers of the Arizona Territory. Kate was neither of them. No, she was pushy, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she began writing letters to Governor George W.P. Hunt asking for his help. Once she finally got admitted, she was the first woman to live in the house. Kate lived there until she passed away at the age of 90 in November 2nd. 1940, only seven days short of her 91st birthday. And we'll eventually do a podcast just on Big Nose Kate herself. So keep listening and follow along Hmm. if you aren't already doing so. So she was laid to rest at the Arizona Pioneers Home Cemetery in Prescott on November 6th, 1940. 
I just realized 1940 really isn't that far away. Like, I guess it's in 20 years, it's 100 years away. But yeah. yeah, it just seems like she hasn't been dead that long, but I guess she has. Yeah. Also in the cemetery is Charlotte M. Hall. She was the first woman to hold office in the Arizona territorial government. And the Charlotte Hall Museum is full of the documents she collected over time. We actually didn't have time to go into the museum when we were there, but it's on the list to go back and see. Mm -hmm. Lastly, in the cemetery is a memorial for the 19 firefighters that were killed on June 30th, 2013. These heroic men were fighting a fire near Yarnell and were trapped when the wind shifted. When they found the men, they were huddled in a tight circle with no fire shelter over them because the storm had shifted too quickly, not giving them time to protect themselves. So 11 of the men are buried in the cemetery, and they each have a bronze plaque for them with a picture on it. In 2016, they dedicated the Granite Mountain Memorial State Park as a place to remember the men who perished in the fire. They have a seven-mile-long hiking trail that allows you to try and better understand the experience the men went through. Along the trail, you will find plaques for each of the 19 men that tells you about them. Once you get to the observation deck, you can look out and see the fatality site 400 feet below. The last part of the trail takes you to the fatality site where the men made their last stand. Here you will see 19 metal cages. One for each of the men with rocks inside them and they're placed in a circle and joined together with a chain. So inside the circle there are 19 markers that show you the position the men were in when they were found. The trail is one way and it takes about four hours. There is no water restrooms along the trail so if you do make the hike make sure that you are prepared. We actually did not do the hike when we were in Prescott because we were not prepared for it and didn't have the time, but we really do want to go back and explore the area for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Prescott is located about 100 miles north of Phoenix, and it's still a thriving town. People love to visit the area because even though it is in Arizona, it does still have four seasons, meaning it snows in Prescott. Yucky. Gross. So if you're in Phoenix and it's 110 degrees, you could drive for about two hours to a fun little town and cool off during the summer because it tends to be about 20 degrees cooler in mm. Prescott. Mm -hmm. We went to Prescott to see where Big Nose Kate was laid to rest as well as stay in a historic hotel on the famous Whiskey Row. But Prescott offers the Charlotte Hall Museum, the Smoky Museum, lakes, hiking trails, art galleries, breweries, a casino, as well as being home to the world's oldest rodeo. Yeah, I think our next visit we'll try to plan around a rodeo. I know. I think that'd yeah. be fun. Way fun, but probably super packed. Yeah, well, and we didn't even plan on doing anything in Prescott. We were just on our way to Phoenix and said, let's stop, so. Yeah, I know, and we really just didn't give it enough time. Yeah. Yep, so we'll do it again. All right, well, there you have it, folks. That was our visit to Prescott, Arizona, and, of course, the infamous Whiskey Row. So some of the resources for the podcast for um, visitprescott.com, the charlottehallmuseum.org, which that website is awesome. They have all kinds of pictures where you can see where Prescott was like back then, and they write up these big um, posts about it. I think that's where I saw the picture of the uh, Prescott's uh, Whiskey Row after it caught fire and they had the tents up. Mm -hmm. So that that website is super cool. 
Um, also, they I use the azstateparks.com slash hotshots, which that's about the firefighters. Mm. And then Murder in the Palace Saloon by Ken Edwards. Yeah, that whole hotshots thing is very... It's an impactful one. Yeah. Definitely worth stopping. I mean, even if you can't hike the trail, stop into the cemetery and pay your regards. Yeah. Your respects, whatever. Yeah, I I watched a video where Mike Rowe, the guy from Dirty Jobs, actually donated a statue to the area hmm. for the firefighters. Pretty cool. I mean, people that have been there have been like really impacted by it because it's the trail that you hike is the actual trail that the men had to hike to get to where they passed away. Mm. So you're reliving what they went through. Mm-hmm. Their last steps. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then all the plaques, you know, they strategically placed the plaques for each one of the men so that you had a place to rest mm-hmm. um, so that you're not getting overly tired. Yeah. They really did a good job planning that whole thing out from what I had seen. Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, do you have a dad joke for us? I do. Are you ready? Marley, Marley just sighed, so I think we both, uh, yeah, we're ready. Okay, it's a good one. Okay. And I'll tell you why after. So, why do coyotes howl at night? Uh, why tell, tell me, why do coyotes howl at night? <laughs> because they can only see the cacti during the day. Because they step on it at night. <laughs> okay, so I find this joke so funny. <laughs> because it reminds me of when we went to Texas. <laughs> and you left me alone at the KOA to go to the bathroom. Remember? And you uh, chased off an armadillo? Yes. Was threatening you? Those coyotes are howling because they stepped on a cactus. <laughs> And you thought they were attacking the armadillo, and all the armadillo wanted was a hug. The armadillo was attacking me. He wanted a hug, and you barked at him and growled at him. Hey, you went away. (laughs) Yeah, I think that one is actually Uh... the dad joke. (laughs) All right, then. We're going to have to record me telling that story. Probably. And I have to stand up while I do it. So I can show you the motions of barking at the dog, at yeah, the armadillo. We'll, we'll put a video on YouTube. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> All right then. Well, I would like to thank you guys again for listening and supporting our little show here. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, uh, we can most actively be found on the Instagram at Rebel at Large. Uh, you'll find photos of our adventures as well as links to the other social things on our website. RebelAtLarge.com. For the Apple Podcast folks, please don't be afraid to rate, review, send us some love. Mm-hmm. I also found that on we're on Audible as well, and it looks like you can do the rate and review business there. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, if anybody listens to podcasts on Audible. I use yeah. Audible all the time, but I've never listened to a podcast on it. Yeah. Well, we need love, so please tell a friend yeah. or a family member. You know, I'm sure you guys know somebody you can share us with. And also, shoot us a message. Say hi to us. Yeah, definitely. So we're planning on being at the HearseCon in Denver coming up in June. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah. uh, We just did some work on the hearse and been giving her some good test runs over the last couple days. Mm -hmm. She's she's doing good. So I'm working on some swag for the show. So If you're going to be there, find us and we may have something for you. Yeah. 
I'll post pictures of the hats I plan on taking before we leave so we can be a little bit easier to find. I'm tall enough. You might find us over most of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, but you can't say tall guy that's bald with a beard because I bet you most of the people there are going to be bald with a beard. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and also on that note, I've been working on getting this store set up uh, for those that have asked for shirts. We've made a few, had a good few test shirts and all that. And so now I'm finishing up details on the store. So probably within the next couple of months or so, I promise it's coming. Sit tight. Yeah. I'll send out something on the social media things yeah. to let you know, or our gypsy will. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, folks. We'll talk to y'all in a couple of weeks. Safe travels. We'll see y'all down the road. The town folk then started building around the plaza. Place, place, Let me start that over. Okay. <laughs> Those uh, double P's were screwing me up. He never really held down a job because he was basically a drunk. And by the time... Um, the the wind... Windstock, right? Windstock. And immediately after, jumped on her pros prostate. Prostrate. And immediately after, jumped on her prostate form and continued. Prostrate. Prostrate. Okay. Um, also in the cemetery is Charlotte. Just say Charlotte M. Hall. Okay. She was the first woman to hold an office in the Arizona. Arizona. <laughs> so lastly in the cemetery is a memorial for the 19 firefighters that were killed on June 30th, 2013. Sorry, that was your turn to read. You're okay. So you, you try it now. Okay. I just thought I'd say all the words. Pre-read it for me yeah. so I could say it right. Thank yeah. you. So go ahead. You try. <laughs>